Got that? All right, we're done. All right, so prophets, prophets. We're starting the prophets. The book of Isaiah was a prophet. If you guys look over here and go ahead, Deb, put up the first slide. The prophets, these banners over here are not just for show. Prophecy, these are major prophets. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, and Daniel, and these are minor prophets. What's the difference? These guys were under 21? Not really. Uh, the difference in the prophetical books, four major prophets, 12 minor prophets, are just the length of the book. That's it. Doesn't mean they were any less prophetical. So what I want to do this morning is really before we start getting into Obadiah and Habakkuk and all that other stuff, I want to do a little explanation here um, that we have, and then Lamentations was, we think, written by Jeremiah, and it's really a book of poetry, but it was also a prophetical book. Again, it was the length of their writings. These people, these prophets, spoke to different groups of people. Next slide. Three speak to Israel. Remember, Craig talked about last week, Israel was in the north and Judah was in the south, remember? In First and Second Kings. So three speak to Israel, Amos, Hosea, and Ezekiel. Two to Nineveh, we all know about Jonah, right? Everybody knows about Jonah and the big fish. And then Nahum. Uh, one spoke to Babylon, and of course we know Daniel and King Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, one spoke to Eden, that's Obadiah, which is one of the smaller books of the Bible. And then nine speak to Judah. Isaiah, Joel, Micah, Jeremiah, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. If you have nine kids, perfect names. There they are, right there. So, the interesting thing about this is um, understanding the difference and why aren't we going in order. In your Bible, you look in the table of context, it says First and Second Kings, doesn't it? But do you remember when it says Babylon attacks 150 years later? Well, Craig already talked about First and Second Kings. But how could they know that if Isaiah hadn't told it yet? See, the Bible isn't chronological. How many people knew that? Okay, good. You guys are way ahead. Bible is not chronological. Sometimes, go ahead and go to the next slide, it gets confusing. Do you know the first book of the Bible, most people, most scholars think, was Job. If you read a chronological Bible, you might read Genesis 1, 2, and 3, and then 42 chapters of Job. And then you get to Genesis 4 and move on. Lots of other writings, like the Judges, were put mixed around in different books. So if any of you have a chronological Bible, it's really interesting to see when these books were actually written. Um, we go through these. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Genesis, Exodus over here, other than Job, that's fine. Well, chronologically, the Psalms are right in there. Well, wait a minute, how, how could that happen? Well, that's when they were written. And then Joshua, Judges, and Ruth, and those stay together. Now go to the next slide. Oh my gosh, wait, now this is all mixed up. Well, when we're reading scripture, we need to understand that it's not always chronological. Before I knew this, it, it confused me tremendously how they knew uh, this stuff before this book had even been written. Go to the next one. You see Isaiah down there in the regular. Isaiah was written around 700 B.C. That means before Christ, no matter what the people call it nowadays in the politically correct world world. We call it before Christ. 
And then you see First and Second Kings down there chronologically, 130 to 150 years later. Well, wait a minute. Craig already preached on that. Did you go out of order? No, we're following Scripture. Then we have Daniel and Haggai. Go next. Zechariah, Ezra, Chronicles. What's the last book of the Bible? Malachi, right? The Italian book Johnny Mayer always tells me. Malachi. It's really Nehemiah. Nehemiah was written in 400 B.C., what happened after 400 B.C.? The silent years. Until who? What's the first book of the New Testament? Wrong. Anyone? What? Nope. Who? What'd you say? That's cheating. I can't give it to you. James. And a Starbucks gift card goes to the pretty lady in the second row. The book of James, written in 44 A.D. Here, Sarah, we'll give it to you. The book of James. What's the second book? What? No. There, who said Galatians? Thank you very much. Justin Horry. It's a Bruin. They won last night. Good call. I didn't give him the answer. I was going to use Jim Bird because if anybody didn't know, I was going to ask Jim what his legal name was. And it's James. So the book of James, well, when you read ahead on those things, why is that important? Because you start, then you get Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Well, they weren't written at the same time. Okay? Some of them were written 80, 90 years later by eyewitnesses. We do know Revelation's the last book of the New Testament, don't we? Everybody agrees that that's the last book of the New Testament. Written about 95 A.D., Again, why is that important? John had a vision, but he also wrote John 1, 2, and 3 not long before that. Okay? Not long before that. So these things are interesting to know. Why is the Bible set up the way it's set up? With the Muratorian canon, and that's a whole other message, the Muratorian canon who set up the Bible set it up as a type of literature. They set it up in literature. As you see on the walls, the poetry... Um, the history, the law, the epistles, the epistles, the biographies, and really what they call the history. Most of them were set up history, Genesis through Esther. The poetry was Job through the Song of Solomon. Job's poetry? Well, that's what they called it, poetry. And then the prophecy, which is what we're in today, Isaiah through Malachi. So, does that mean anything to anybody? Thank you. We just need to know where we're at. Good. What is a prophet? A pro- we hear about prophets. Prophet Isaiah. Are there prophets today? Not counting the LDS church? No. They, theirs dies and then the next breath for the next oldest guy. Why don't they get a young one? The next oldest guy, he's the prophet. He speaks for God. Okay? It's not how it works in the, in the Christian faith. A prophet speaks for God. If you look at Deuteronomy 18.18... 18, and really the whole chapter of 18, the Israelites were done with the fire. And Moses said, you're not going to hear the voice of God anymore, and you're not going to hear him through the fire like the burning bush. So he said, I will then send a prophet who speaks for me, and you will listen to him. Now, what if he was wrong, the people said? And he said, he will then pay that price. He's not speaking for me. A prophet spoke for God. He spoke judgment. 
He spoke prophecy. He was always an Israelite. Go figure, right? Guess what? They only came when Israel was disobedient. When things were going good and they were following the Lord, did they need a prophet? No, they were following the Lord. But they only came when Israel was disobedient. Therefore, was he liked by the people? No. You know, we know Jonah, he didn't want to go to Nineveh. Isaiah, you know what? He was like, I'm, I'm here, I'm in this position, and we're going to talk about that here now. Why was he sent by God, and who was Isaiah? He was a prophet when God's people were split. We talked about Israel to the north and Judah to the south. He was sent to the people of Judah. He was the son of Amos. Who was Amos? Not Amos, that's the cookie guy. Who was Amos? All right? Amos was the brother of King Amaziah. Wow. Amaziah. Uh, what does that mean? Isaiah was the king's nephew. He was also the first cousin of King Azariah, who was right after Amaziah. Azariah was 16 years old. We think Isaiah was much older, so he was the older cousin. Did these, did these kings listen to him? Probably not, but he had access because he was in the family. Do you ever have that brother-in-law or sister-in-law or cousin or whatever that's just a nightmare? And every family party, you're like, oh my gosh, here they come again. Especially the people like us, the religious ones. They always want you there because they want you to pray. All right? Hey, you're the religious guy. You pray. Uh, but they don't want to hear anything else. Right? Those are the people. You're all shaking your head. No doubt he was able to speak to the kings is because he had more access than any other prophet in the Old Testament except for maybe Daniel with Nebuchadnezzar. Now, one of the things he talked about here in the video, Isaiah 1 through 39, Isaiah 40 through 66, it really is two Isaiahs. Many scholars think that there were two authors. Uh, I personally don't think so, uh, but I think, again, this was written over a number of years, but it tells two different stories. That's why we've broken it up into two weeks here. Isaiah 1 through 39 is what we call Isaiah 1. It talks about judgment and hope in exile. Isaiah 2, which is 40 through 66, tells of the coming king, the Messiah, and eternal hope. Just to give you a little more trivia, go ahead and go to the next slide, Deb. Is this a coincidence? 66 chapters in Isaiah, 66 books in the Bible, two sections in Isaiah, two testaments. First section is disobedience. The Old Testament is disobedience. Section 2, coming hope. In Christ, New Testament, coming Christ. 39 chapters in Isaiah 1, 39 books in the Old Testament, 27 chapters in Isaiah 2, 27 chapters in the New Testament. Isaiah ends with prophecy, a new heaven and a new earth. So does the book of Revelation. Is that a coincidence? Yes. It is. Because verses and chapters weren't added to the Bible till the 1500s. But the guys who added those understood how important Isaiah was as it mirrored the book of the Bible, right? So it's just some more trivia. It's Trivia Sunday, so welcome. Um, in this section of Isaiah, what I call Isaiah 1, there's three main points. He talked about that if you look at it, how many of you have read the book of Isaiah? Did you guys do your reading? Awesome, all of you guys. Don't raise your hand if you read. Okay, perfect. Um, 
This is what this is about, guys. Read, read, read Isaiah 1 through 39. Isaiah 1, 1 says, Isaiah had a vision of a rebellious nation, which was the one he was living in. And the woes and judgment for their behavior, mostly idolatry that is about to come. What was the problem with some of the kings Craig talked about last week? They didn't follow the Lord. Who'd they follow? False gods. All the false gods. Because guess what? The Lord didn't do what they want, so they'd pray to these other gods. See, Isaiah's not out yet as a prophet. Until he goes through a spiritual cleansing due to another vision he had, and it talked about it on the video in chapter 6. Next slide, Isaiah 6.1 says, I saw the Lord seated on the throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple with glory, like the song, right? Filled the temple. Isaiah sees six-winged seraphs. Seraphs. What's a seraph? I had to look that one up. thought they were angels. They're not. They're not just angels. They're the highest hierarchy of angels, the ones who, who were around God. And he looked and saw this vision, and they saw him praising the Lord. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Isaiah's looking at this, and he's like, oh, my goodness. I am not worthy to be here. He says, at the sound of their voices, Scripture said, the doorpost and the threshold shook the temple and filled it with smoke. Isaiah knew he was in the presence of the Lord and didn't feel worthy. Any you guys know, ever feel not worthy? Okay? We have Christ. He didn't. He didn't feel worthy. So what happens next? Next slide. Woe to me, I am ruined. Hey man, once you see God, guess what? If you're not ready, you're done. I'm a man of unclean lips. He confessed his sin. And I live among a people with unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord God Almighty. Wow. He knew what he saw was God. And, uh, Isaiah felt dirty in the presence of the Lord. Sometimes we feel that way, don't we? We're praying. We're on our knees. We're asking God to direct us. And we feel dirty. That's sometimes how we feel before we're saved. That's how I felt. I didn't have much hope. It's like, man, I've been trying to do this my whole life, up to 30 years. What do I do next? But you know what? Now I reside in the presence of the Lord. By his atoning blood, each and every person who calls him Savior is now clean. Amen? In verse 6 of chapter 6, it tells what happens next. The seraph, the seraph I don't know why I have a problem with that, Sarah right there. The seraph flew to him with a hot piece of coal. Oh, man, yeah, bring it, right? Go ahead, bring it. Yeah, oh, yeah. No, I don't think so. He thought this is it. I just said I'm with unclean lips, and they're going to make sure these are shut forever. He said that seraph had taken him with tongs from the fire. Isaiah, again, thought that was it. Burning coal to his unclean lips to shut him up forever. Wrong. The seraph touched his mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away. Your sin is atoned for. He was now clean. See, we think of fire, especially some of you firemen in here, Tyler, 
retired fireman Harry. Harry's got the good job. He's retired. Um, some of the retired firemen, they look at fire as danger. And that's why we have a fire department. What did God use fire for many, many, many times? Purification, cleansing. Again, when you look at precious metals um, and they want to purify a precious metal like gold or silver, what do they do? They heat it up. What rises to the top? All the junk. They scrape it off and they throw it away and then they cool it down then they heat it up again. They keep doing that. That's what happens in our own life. We get heated up and what rises to the top? You think you're doing really great with the Lord until something happens. And then you go, oops, where am I now? And then what happens? The Lord takes care of that for you and then you cool down until you get heated up again. And then, who knows? Isaiah was now clean. The Lord says in the next verse of verse 8, hmm, who should I send? Who will go for us and speak our word? What does Isaiah say? Here I am, Lord, send me. That Mercy Me song takes on a whole new meaning, right? Send me. How many of you, if you hear the Lord say, how about you? Who will I send? Pick me. Pick me. Right? I was telling Bob Osborne yesterday, not long after I got saved, um, I wanted to be a pastor because, you know, why not? Doesn't look that hard. I wanted to talk about Jesus. I've been in sales most of my life, and I wanted to sell the ultimate product, at least present the ultimate product. And what he said to me was, my job is to make sure guys like you never become full-time pastors. How would he say that to me? He said, no, you don't understand. He said, I'm a pastor. I go out surfing. They say, hey, man, you're pretty cool. What do you do? I'm a pastor. But I'm on a golf course, and they say, hey, Rick, what do you do? Well, I'm in sales. Oh, and then you get into a relationship that leads to a whole different discussion, right? And I, because I've been traveling for 33 years in two continents, I pretty much have been able to share my faith with maybe thousands of people um, that I wouldn't have if I would have had a church of 100 or 200 or 300. Probably would have been 50 by the time I got done with it. But, um, but that's what I'm saying is we are all in ministry. The Lord says, who will I send? Send me. Are we willing to say that? I got a really nice house and a nice job and a beautiful wife and some grand... I don't... I'm good. I'm going to keep it right here. What if he says not? Then we look at the can of vinos and we go, oh, gosh, Tom, that's so neat what you did. You walked away from a six-figure income and a big fancy house and, and, and what are you doing with your life? Leading thousands of people to the Lord through the Jesus Film Project. What is success? And Tom would never, be, never say that, but I look at him as a tremendous success. See, right now, because Isaiah has the Lord's heart and soul in him, he says, I'm going. I'm going to go speak prophecy and judgment. And through verses or chapters 14 through about 28, he rains judgment down on a few people. The Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Moabites, the people of Damascus, of Cush, of Egypt, of Arabia, of Jerusalem, of Tyre, and of Ephraim. He didn't leave anybody out. 
He said, you know what? You all are bad. I'll paraphrase. Woe to you. Judgment it comes from the Lord. Oh, and they're like, yeah, that's awesome. Come back to our church next week. We really want to hear that again. But you know, he was used by God. The next slide. Isaiah speaks of the hope coming soon. A sign. How does somebody in 700 B.C. talk about... Now, we're, we're Christians, right? It's 2018. Do we know what the sign is? He prophesies, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be like child. Who's that? Mary. I know you all knew that. You just don't want to say it. It's Mary. Okay? And we'll give birth to a son and we will call him Emmanuel. Oh my gosh, it's a Christmas story 700 years before. How's that happen? Super Bowl's coming up. I need this guy on my side to bet. He knows who's going to win. No, don't bet. That's bad. Chapter 9, 6. For us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. The government will be on his shoulders. What do we call Jesus? Wonderful, counselor, prince of peace, mighty God, everlasting father. 700 years before Christ. And these guys are looking at him going, what? What are you talking about? It's going to come from that seed of David. No, David's been destroyed. His kingdom's gone. No, it hasn't. Isaiah closes his first part by telling of the coming defeat and the exile of Judah in the hands of the Babylonians. Why? Due to their lack of trust in God. In chapter 31, he tells of their reliance on horses and chariots and soldiers of Egypt, and they don't look at the Holy One of Israel. In chapter 37, the king who followed the Lord, Hezekiah, makes a mistake. He hedges bets. He says, Lord, I'm with you. I love you. I'm praying to you. In 37.15, he begins his prayer to the Lord. And in chapter 38, the Lord heals him from his deathbed and says, I'm going to give you 15 more years to serve me because Hezekiah, I think you do good things. So what does Hezekiah do? He says, thanks, God. And to hedge my bet, I'm going to go over here to my buddies, the Babylonians. They were like the Oakland Raiders. The Babylonians. And he says, hey, guys, I need to join with you because I'm afraid of the Assyrians. And they go, sure, what do you got? And he goes, come on in, look it. And they're like, you see that guy with his fingers behind his back on the, on the video? Crossed? It doesn't work really. But what they did was they went, sure, we'll protect you. And they did for 100 years. But what did Isaiah say? Hear the word of the Lord Almighty. The time will come that everything in your palace will be carried off to Babylon. They're going to turn on you. Because who's the only one that doesn't turn on us? The Lord, right? The Lord. The Trinity. The Father, Son, the Holy Spirit. Tom Brady is not the fourth person of the Trinity. Okay? The Trinity. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Humans will let us down all the time. A hundred years the Babylonians said we got your back until they didn't. And finally, Hezekiah only cared about peace in his lifetime. 
hit 15 years. You know, they were good for 100. He said, I did, I did what I was supposed to do. But what he did was start in motion something that 100 years later was disastrous for the Jewish people, right? You think they went back to that and said, Hezekiah shouldn't have done that. I guarantee you they did because Isaiah wrote it down. Let's talk about the application in honor of Brad Fogel. By way of application, four things we need to think about in the beginning of Isaiah. God punished those who didn't fully trust in him. It's called justice. But Lord, that guy was a good guy. I know he didn't know you, but he was a good guy. How could he go to hell? I know your word says that. I know I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father but by me. No, God, come on. My God would let him in. Number two, our God is jealous. In Exodus, he says, my name is jealous. Well, that sounds pretty petty, but not divine jealousy. Who's supposed to be number one? Who's supposed to be our soul, one, and our soul protector? It's Jesus, is God. You know those shirts, I am second? That is awesome. I'm like 64th, but I got another shirt. But he is first. If he's not first in your life, you've really got to do an inventory. You really do. Because if he's not, if you don't got time for him, he don't got time for you. He'll wait, but he's not going to use you. And you know what? Isaiah was usable, and he said, send me. Don't hedge your bets with God. He is first in, God, I don't know what you're doing. Brad and Margie left. They didn't have a job. I don't know what you're doing. God bless them for stepping out. Amen? Amen? I mean, come on. That's a show of faith. We need to be purified before God will use us. Well, that sounds like works theology. No, it's called salvation. That's where our purification as Christians come from. Atoned by the blood of the Lamb. The healing of Jesus Christ. And finally, in this part of Isaiah, history reveals a graveyard of nations that have gone down to death due to their own moral rottenness. Forget Sodom and Gomorrah, forget all those other ones. How about big civilizations like um, Egypt and Babylon, Rome? 1,200 years Rome ruled the earth. Anybody afraid of Roman armies today? I think it's called Italy, right? Right? I don't know. Nobody's afraid. And then we think the United States, the greatest country the world's ever seen, right? Right? 200 and something years, 30 years, 40, whatever. We think, man, we got it. Do you guys ever think there's a little decline in the moralness, moral rottenness of our nation? Just a little? But God hasn't destroyed us yet because of us. Can you guys join with me and say, God, send us. Just be available. You're already purified if you know the Lord Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior. You're already purified. Just, Lord, use me. Just pray a simple prayer that says, Lord, use me this week. Just use me. You might be sitting at a gas station or a coffee shop, and somebody might go, oh, I used to try to 
trick God when I first got saved. I'd take my Bible and, and I'd say, Lord, use me today. And I'd be like in the back of a Carl's Jr. in the very last booth. Just sitting there reading by myself. Hey, you're not going to use me today. Okay. Then all of a sudden, somebody come out of the bathroom and go, dude, what are you reading? Oh, come on, man. Okay. How am I used in business now? It's something real simple. Hey, guys, I'm going to bless my food before we get started. Do you mind if I bless yours? You know how many times somebody said no? In 30 years, zero. In fact, my non-Christian business associates will say, whoa, 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 Rick, you forgot to pray. Right? Awesome. My last company said, oh, man, if you're going to leave, oh, what are you going to do? I said, I'm not sure yet. And he said, why don't you be a full-time pastor? And I said, I am. So are you, right? So are you. But we don't think of ourselves that way. We lost a pastor. No. Brad and Mark, we lost our teacher for a time being till we get another teacher. Our pastors are still here. Our shepherds are still here. Every one of you is a shepherd. We have some lead shepherds. We call those the elder boards. We have some lead teachers. We call those the pastor of care and support and the pastor of student ministries. But guess what? Any one of us can get together and enjoy fellowship with Christ, right? Because we're all pastors. The priesthood of all believers. And that's what we have to focus on. We need as a nation to hurry up and listen and follow him. Or justice will be his. We're guaranteed of that. And finally, I'm going to finish Isaiah next week. You get me two weeks in a row. No extra charge. If you think next week is Super Sunday, you're right. Because we're going to finish Isaiah. It's not the Super Bowl. It's because we get to hear the rest of the story in Isaiah 2. What a wonderful story. If you think Isaiah 1 blew you away, wait till you get to Isaiah 2. Now, Wayne Van Every's taken his class over a period of 12 years through the book of Isaiah. <laughs> They're like, yeah, that's true, right? Um, so this may be reviewed for some of you, but I had the, the great benefit. Wayne asked me one time to come in and talk about Isaiah 53. Please, before next week, just read Isaiah 53 before you come. Um, it's the glorious future and the restoration of God's people in his kingdom. God has the same plan for us. We should be so excited. And also, the game doesn't start till 3.30. We should be done by then. Okay? Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we are so blessed to call you our God. Lord, you're our one and only. I pray that the people of Foothills Church and our families put no one in front of you because, Lord, graciously you are a jealous God. You love us, you care about us, you direct us, and we need to follow you. Lord, we are so blessed to call this our church home, so blessed to have godly people come and want to learn about your word. Lord, we know church is more what's done between Sundays, not on Sunday. Lord, we ask prayer for the, for the um, life groups that are in this church and for the people that aren't in life groups to get part of a community. Lord, because 
that's where your work is done. I've seen it in my own life group. Just a wonderful group of people, Lord. Thank you for the people that serve here. Thank you for everyone who's walked through these doors that are wanting and willing to hear your word and do what your instructions tell us. We ask a blessing on the rest of this service today. In your name we pray, amen.